congratulations, amazing. Also here today, Stephanie, so proud, so thankful. You're pursuing a journey with Jesus that is unbelievable. Would you come and receive this certificate of baptism today? Baptized in the beautiful name of Jesus. And I believe God is going to continue to bring victory and power to her life. So this time you'll always know and remember, right? Congratulations. Did you pull off a surprise? Did they make you did? Well, how about that, brother and sister Booty, wherever y'all are? So much for friends and family. They can betray you quickly with these surprises, right? But we're excited. Great, great time. And then Kaylee, God bless you, sweet lady. Baptized today in the beautiful name of Jesus. And we have a certificate for you as well. Thank the Lord. It just tells you when and where. Just tells you so you never forget, right? You'll never forget. Congratulations. God bless. Thank the Lord. Let's give these folks some appreciation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. Great to see all of our guests here today. And uh, But I've come today to do my best to minister to Grace Church. And um, I'm sorry today, figuratively speaking, I'm not here to pass out a bunch of cotton candy. I want to preach to you what I believe God has given me. I'm going to preach with all of my heart. And I anticipate a positive response when the word of God has been preached. In light of all that's happening in our world today, pertaining to the end time, what has happened to Holy Ghost conviction? With all the knowledge we have about the end time, why have some of us moved further away from God, changing our values, changing our priorities to something less than what they should be? I'll ask you a question today. Can you say that you're closer to God now than you were a year ago? If not, why? If the answer is no and it doesn't concern you, then you're in a very dangerous place today. You're in a very dangerous place. My heart is so full. I feel like Brother Dave. I've got so much to say in such very little time. I'll do my best to cling to my notes and so that we can wrap this up as soon as possible. But you, you will hear, you will hear the voice of the Lord today. This is not an optional thing you're hearing from the Lord today. Everybody here today is having a God moment right now. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and then retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. Tried to protect him. And the men in the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. 
I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. My title is The Death of Conviction. The Death of Conviction. Everybody say, God bless the Word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. I want to say in the very opening statement of this message that sin still has huge consequences. Everybody needs to understand this today. Not only for you, but for your children. Thomas Watson said, Sin is such a trade that whoever follows is sure to break. What did Achan gain by his wedge of gold, he said. It was a wedge to cleave asunder his soul from God. What did Judas Iscariot get by his treason? He purchased a halter to hang himself. What did King Ahaz get by worshiping the gods of Damascus? They were the ruin of him and all of Israel, according to 2 Chronicles 28, 13. Everybody listen to pastor, everybody. Sin is first comical, Watson said, and then tragical. Thomas Manton said, sin is an ill guest, for it always sets its lodgings on fire. In 1 Kings 15, I'll read again, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David could find no man more loyal to him than Uriah. But the problem with Uriah was that his blind trust and devotion to David led him to his own death. In fact, his death warrant was signed by the man who completely, whom he completely trusted, King David himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 we read, that we read from today, David made a series of choices that led him to the darkest choices that he would ever make in his life. In our reading, David is now about 50 years old. He's been the king of Israel for some 20 years. Israel, under his leadership, has become a mighty nation. David has become a visionary of sorts, a powerful warrior, and he is recognized as a true worshiper. But while David stands strongly as Israel's king, there's a pounding of temptation that will soon topple every bit of his resistance. One thing about temptation is that it cannot be entertained. Every man is tempted, but one has to flee from the temptation. In looking at David's life, one finds that there are three avenues that let the enemy into his life. First of all, there's polygamy and lust. The cultural norm of that day was for kings to acquire wives and concubines. But the cultural norm was in violation of a God's higher standard. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, applicable to David, the Bible said, Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply himself to silver and gold. Yet because of David's power, no one confronted him. His private life was his business and, and could not hurt anything or so David thought. But the problem was that David's harem grew his sense of lust. The more a person indulges a sinful appetite, the more it will increase. 
The second thing happened to David was the vulnerability of success. His armies had brought great security to his city. The captured provinces poured money and resources into David's account. This money brought honor and success. But success is tricky. It can be so dangerous when one starts assessing his holdings. Pride, self-indulgence, and little accountability often come with great success. The third thing that happened to David was indulgence and leisure. Because of the success, when the troops marched off to fight, David marched off to take a nap. This success led him to certain idleness. He had paid his due, so to speak. He didn't have to fight anymore. The idleness mixed with his lust and with the trappings of success primed him for disaster. The Bible said in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Pride, fullness of bread, and idleness are a deadly trio that will lead all of us down the path to disaster. David stirred from his nap, and when he went out to walk around on the roof in that evening, life could not be better for him until he looks across the way, and then the king of Israel is all of a sudden turned into a voyeur. Once he saw the woman, he stopped dead in his tracks. He lingers about the edge of his balcony. The glance turns into a gaze. The gaze turns into a stare. The the stare dissolves into a smirk. In that one moment, in that one moment, the king is deformed into a deranged man. His lust causes him to lose all his sense of perception and the danger of the decision he is about to make. He loses all regard for his position in the kingdom and loses his fear of future penalty. He loses his fear of future penalty. He inquired of his servant as to her identity. And when they told him, he didn't even heed their veiled warning. She is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David's conscience is so numb that the radar doesn't even register the warning. In a very short period of time, Uriah's wife is standing in front of the king. Gravity follows, and David breaks the laws of God and violates the trust of his family. He has abused his position as king. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Temptation, described what happened in David's life when he threw caution to the wind and his desire for this woman took over. At this moment, Bonhoeffer writes, God ceases to be real to David. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with a forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taking from us, Bonhoeffer writes. This is a huge problem with sin that few rarely see. In fact, this generation 
This current generation has lost their fear of what is going to happen to them because of their sin. Let me again introduce you to what the Bible says. Sin brings a man low in the eyes of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 14 verse 3, They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. The Bible said, that sin brings down the intellect of a man. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Sin brings a man down with affliction. The psalmist said again, they are minished or diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Sin brings a man down with depression. The psalmist said, there were they in great fear where there was no fear. Isaiah said that sin brings a spiritual lethargy which folks here today are fighting. Isaiah said, For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath hath he covered. And the vision of all has become upon you as the words of a book that is sealed which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, because it is sealed. Sin will lead to desertion. The psalmist said, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath laid hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Sin will ultimately turn you into hell. The psalmist said, The Lord is known by the judgments which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Let me pour my heart out to you today in the following statement, which you'll see on the screen. One of the key ways, keys to revival in our home, one of the keys to revival in our home, in our family, in our life, is when we face up to sin and repent of it. With all the things going on in our world today, let me ask some folks here today, what in the world are you waiting for? Why would you want to spend another day in sin or living on the fringe area of the church questioning, do I really have to do this or that? I'm choosing to believe that there's some people here today that's already made up your mind, that's decided I'm going to sell out to the kingdom. And instead of asking, do I have to do this or that, I'm asking, what can I do? be seated. Thank you. The thing that makes sin even so much more dangerous and damnable is keyed into us in the Proverbs. The writer said, stolen waters are sweet and bread is eaten in secret his pleasure. This is secret sin, believing I'll never get caught or I can do as I please, God will understand. Or... I don't believe in God's judgment at all. 
David's affair with Bathsheba with stolen waters and secret bread that David consumed that would soon confront him. The consequences of sin are bitter and the taste would linger on David's lips for the rest of his life as we read in our text this morning. Panic ensues when David finds out that Bathsheba is expecting a child. Instead of confessing the sin before God and his counselors, he puts into motion a plan to cover it up. And for the first time in David's life, he tries to sweep his sin under the doormat. Until now, he's always quick to confess it to come clean. He further trashes his own character and integrity. When he brings Uriah home from the battlefield, David's plan is to send him home to Bathsheba and then all the bases would be covered. It would appear to everyone that the baby was Uriah's and not David's. What David did not factor into his plan was that the strength of Uriah's character. While Uriah Uriah was supposed to be at home with Bathsheba, he never made it that far. He slept on the front porch of the palace with David's servants and David's guards. At sunrise, David discovers that Uriah did not make it home that night. David inquires as to the reason, and Uriah's answer is stunning in 2 Samuel 11. And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go unto my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as I so liveth, I will not do this. David is rebuked by the integrity of one of his soldiers, a man who is so completely committed to the nation and to his king, to his wife, and to his God. So David tries yet again. He gets Uriah so drunk that he can hardly stand the following night. Then David gently pushes him in the direction of his house. But Uriah proves that there is more self-control in his drunken state than David had while he was sober. Now David is faced with a huge dilemma. Nothing can cover this breach in his life up. Nothing except murder. So the plan escalates and David writes out a death warrant. It came to pass in the morning, the Bible said, that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah was carrying his own death warrant in his hand. He wrote in a letter saying, Set you Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him that he may be smitten and that he might die. Joab, David's general, gains his instructions and sends Uriah into the very teeth of the battle. As the kingdom advances, the lives of men are eclipsed. eclipsed. And the Bible said it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also in the throes of the battle Uriah died but along with Uriah the Bible states and there fell some of the people of the servants of David along with Uriah and with other valiant men who died along with them now let me preach a little bit about my sermon the death of conviction Here's what happened to David. This is what David didn't think through. You listen to me tonight or today. This is happening to some folks here in this building. It's happening to you. I see it in your life. 
I see it in your eyes. The message that David missed is in Uriah's name because according to Brown Driver Briggs Dictionary, Uriah's name means Jehovah is my light. Strong's Concordance says the root word indicates that the meaning is light. So when you place them together, you find the meaning is the flame or light of Jehovah. The psalmist said, whether you believe it or not and want to accept it or not here today, he said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it and I will keep thy righteous judgments. He went on to say, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I wanted the testimony shared about Sister Deborah's granddaughter today, Macy, because I wanted somebody to see here today that even though she may have some some disorder in her mind and her sweet little body, I'm here to tell you and present to you the power, the power of the Word of God and what the doctors can diagnose but cannot cure. The Word of God can. It's the power of the written word. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. He went on to say, I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. We've had parents at this church that have said, since their kids have been a part of our quizzing program, their school grades have gone up. They're doing better in school. They pay attention better. They absorb more, not just the word, but every academic they're doing in school, they're doing better. It's the power of the word of God because God said, my word will not return unto me void. The difficulty with David murdering Uriah is that he was killing the light of God in his life. When you sin, that's what happens. When you live in sin, that's what happens. You kill the light of God in your life. That's why people turn to drugs and alcohol and sex and you name it. I got to be real careful because I want to preach right now so bad, but I can't divulge confidence. I'll just say this. I had someone in my office several days ago that I quoted to them these words. I said, you've been to hell and back several times. It's only the intercession of your mother that you're back. But this person has experienced drugs and alcohol like you can't imagine sex like you can't imagine and this person sat in my office this week and looked me in the eye with tears in her eyes and said pastor it's not real there's nothing out there this is the only thing that's real you know what she discovered Jehovah is the light God is the light it's not sin it's not being free to do whatever you want to do 
It's not getting rid of that feeling of being encumbered and a disciple and bound to the scripture. That's not freedom, my friend. I'm here to tell you today, if you want to know life and know it more abundantly, let me introduce you to Jesus. You'll find deliverance from drugs. You'll find deliverance from alcohol. You can have deliverance from sex addiction and whatever else is going on in your life. But you can choose the world and it won't pan out for you. Let me encourage you today to embrace a relationship with Jesus. David killed the light. That's what sin does. I want everybody to understand that. There's people here today, you think you're living it up out in the world. Got all kind of stuff going on in your life that you couldn't have as a kid growing up in the church. But you can have it all now. You here, Pastor, today, if you could sit behind my desk for a week, you'd understand when you hear the testimony of one broken person after another, one after another, one after another, parents sobbing for their children who choose the world and sin, and then the kids, they, they, they don't come back anymore, and you can't reach them anymore, and nobody can figure out what happened. It's because they murdered the light of God in their life when they walked out the door. David murdered the convicting commandments of God. He destroyed the pure commandments of the Lord. He removed the influence of the strong statutes of the Lord. He silenced the voice of a clear conscience. He experienced the death of conviction. That's what happened to David. I've been preaching too long. I just got my certificate from headquarters in St. Louis. It said I've been licensed for 35 years. I've been preaching longer than that. I've lived long enough today, folks, to know what I'm talking about. You kill conviction in your life, and then when you do, you're living in a dangerous place. But Uriah was not the only death that day, the Bible said. Not only did Uriah die in battle, but we read that there were other servants of David that died with him. Let me just say in short here today, when you choose to walk away from God... You don't go alone. And there's people here today that know what the truth is, but your best friends and all of that are people out in the world. You're not leading them to Jesus. They're leading you to where they are. You're in a dangerous place. I feel so old-fashioned and old fogey and out of touch this morning, I don't even know what to say. But it's still the book. It's still the book. I wish I had a cotton candy machine up here and I could all roll all y'all a big wad of cotton candy and give it to you and make you feel real good about yourself, but not today. There are times that people have raised the issue of healing and restoration with me. Many, many times. It's when people backslide and they come back and want to be restored. I had conversation along that line just very recently. Restoration is always available, but there's always consequences. There's always damaging effects that comes when people allow themselves to get caught up in a sinful behavior. Let me relate it to you this way. When a patient has a heart attack, this means that some loss of the heart muscle is present, and no matter how much medicine, treatment, or rehab 
is made available to that patient, the heart will, will very rarely recover back to 100%. When a patient has smoked two packs of cigarettes a day for 40 years, he may quit smoking, but there will not be a full recovery of his lung capacity. That's scientific fact. When a patient is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he sometimes may have a Whipple procedure, it is called. My dad did. But there's great deficits to that, and they, they, they never recover to the full function of life. This is what sin does. My dad didn't recover from that surgery, never left the hospital. When a patient has to endure the awful insult of a head injury, the majority of the time there is a lingering deficit that if the patient lives, he or she will battle with it for the rest of their life. This is what sin does. This is what you don't understand. You can come back to God anytime you want, but there's collateral damage. And then besides those you've taken out with you, those hardly ever come back. It's true. The other servants of David died also, the Bible said, with David trying to cover up his sin. I'm almost done. When the light of Uriah's life was snuffed out, there were servants that were with him that died as well. And when we allow sin to wreck our lives and our relationship with God, there's some other things that die with that. Sincerity is squeezed out by regret and love is traded for suspicion and loyalty is replaced by consuming love of self and sacrifice gives into stubbornness and innocence dies out to guilt and humility is destroyed by hard-heartedness and kindness takes a back seat to anger and Inner peace will give in to depression. All of these things enter into our lives when we kill the voice of conviction in our lives. I also would add that even God will have a challenging time trying to restore these things back to your life. I want to make a very bold statement here today. There are some folks here today, you never know. This may be the most important sermon you'll ever hear. The Bible said to put on the Lord Jesus and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So you're sitting here today saying, maybe you're saying, Pastor, what shall I do? What do I do? What do I do? Let me give you some suggestions as a place to start. Do what I've done. I'll encourage you to do what many others here today have done. I'm preaching to a lot of people here today. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua said to the children of Israel that wanted to go back to Egypt, he said, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or Egypt or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's where you start. You take it to your marriage. You take it to your kids. You take it to your home. You take it to your job. You take it with you everywhere you go. I open with that point. If it starts in the home, if it starts in the home, if it starts in the home, revival spreads everywhere. All right. I'm coming.
calling on every family today. I'm calling on every family today if you'll stand with me. Please don't leave the building. Please don't leave the building. The people you see walking out are coming up here to the platform, so don't panic. I'm calling on every family in January of 2020. I would have done this last Sunday had it not been for a guest speaker. I'm calling on every family. Y'all hear me today? I don't care how long you've been around Pentecost or in it. God don't do entitlement programs. Calling on every family starting this coming Wednesday. Determine that me and my family will be in church every Wednesday. And we will cease to use the behavior of our children, our job, our hobbies, and other things as an excuse not to be in church. need to find motivations to be in church instead of reasons to miss it. Number two, we'll start attending Sunday school as a family, making sure to arrive on time so our kids are in their class every Sunday. I'm going to go ahead and say it today, and I know the price might be high, but I ain't into this thing about singers and musicians and all that coming early for practice and then go home and get your family and roll in here at 11. Y'all have two cars. Maybe the kids and the spouse can come on in at 10 and save you a trip back home. Sunday school isn't the time to go to McDonald's for breakfast and a biscuit and all that kind of stuff. You don't do that on your job. You don't show up and then leave and go somewhere else for a little while and then come back. Folks, you may not think this is a big deal, but I've lived long enough to see the end thereof of people who develop these kind of spiritual patterns and church lifestyles. They don't end good. Show up at 10 o'clock. If you're consistently late, we'll buy you a watch. Number three, we will as a family attend all church-wide prayer meetings. Number four, we will have consistent heartfelt devotion and prayer times in our home teaching our kids the word of God. Casey and Chris are teaching our junior high class right now and ask them to turn in their Bible to a book, chapter, and verse, and very few of them knew where to find it. These are kids that are in junior high school. Don't blame our Sunday school department. If you want to point a finger at somebody, go look in the mirror. That's your job. Are your kids learning anything about Scripture? Or is the video game the priority? I hate to sound clotheslined today. I'm not apologizing. I just hate to do it. Number five, we will cease to lead our children down the damaging path of compromise by letting them participate in worldly things and dress and act in ways that are not consistent with what the Bible teaches. Has your conviction died? Don't you feel anything when you let your kids do something that you yourself won't do? Number six is to make the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, and your pastor's voice the priority influence in your life instead of lukewarm, judgmental, compromised family and friends.
I very rarely do social media thing, but I saw on the other day on one of the social media Instagram, I think, about somebody giving just amazing accolades to somebody who used to live like you do that don't anymore and they're wonderful. I don't get it. Number seven, we will not allow sinful things in our homes such as inappropriate television, movies, video games, and so on. And we'll even give up social drinking if we need to. And you need to. Can't believe I'm saying these things. Number eight, I'm going to commit to paying tithes accurately and faithfully. I'm going to commit to giving involved, getting involved in ministry at Grace Church. Number ten, our goal is to be more better morally and spiritually this time next year than we are this year. That's the goal. I'm a little disappointed today. I don't see many tears. So you've been given a divine altar call this morning from God himself. Is there any families here today that wants to bite on it? Is there a spouse? Grab your other spouse by the hand. Your kids, is there somebody you want to come down here and you want to talk to God for a little while? If you want to kneel and pray, that's fine. If you want to stand, whatever you feel you need to do. But everybody in this building is having a God moment.
I saw Matthew talking to him and he just said, man, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. This is Darnell Williams. He's been coming with Brother Steve and we're excited to baptize him. Let's pray today. Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for Brother, Brother Darnell today. We ask, Lord, that you would touch him. God, we ask that you would lead him and guide him, that you would order his steps, that you would do a work in his life from this day forward. Help him commit to you, Lord, and we love you and we praise you. Always in Jesus' name. Brother Darnell, upon the profession of your faith and obedience to the word of the Lord, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus for the remission of all your sins in Jesus' name. Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for doing this, God. That's it, brother. Let God do it. Let him do it. That's it. Come on, that's it. Do it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.